This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Well, hey everyone, it's Erica, host of the Worth Your Time podcast, and I'm so glad you're here today. My guest for today is a really good one. Her name is Jennifer Allwood. She is one of the warmest and most delightful guests I've ever had on the podcast, and I got so much out of this conversation with her. Jennifer has an incredibly successful business coaching women to build their businesses online and teaching them to overcome fear, doubt, and things that keep them stuck. And she's got a new book coming out, Fear Is Not the Boss of You. And after chatting today, I cannot wait to read it. Jennifer's story begins with her own painting business, which she grew for many years before transitioning to teaching and coaching other women to do the same. And you guys, she has a massive social media presence, like 400,000 Facebook fans, just to give you a little peek into to how she's been able to build that influence over the years. But the twist is that Jennifer's coaching is really based in faith, and she helps women who want to honor God with their talents and find ways to make a living doing what he's called them to do. To me, that's an essential part of the puzzle and figuring out our lives and our businesses. And I wouldn't want to do it any other way. So today I asked Jennifer about everything from how we find boundaries as working moms. How do we get started? How do we know what to charge? What does it mean to make choices with intention and how to avoid hustling to the point of exhaustion? She's got so much wisdom. And I got to say, this might be the most listenable episode I've ever recorded. So get ready to take some notes. Enjoy this conversation with Jennifer Allwood. All right, Jennifer, well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad to talk with you. Erica, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, before we jump into all of my many questions, which, by the way, as I was putting these together, I was like, wow, I have so much to ask her after digging into your website and seeing all the stuff that you do. Um, I would just love to hear just a little bit of your backstory, starting with you know who you are and who your family is, but also how you ended up in this position of being a sort of a coach and online entrepreneur and really just, you know, showing women how to do it online. Yeah. Well, let me just say that no one is more shocked than I am, Erica, (laughs) (laughs) that I am where I am currently at. But yeah, so I'm Jennifer Allwood. I live in Kansas City with my husband and we have four children. Um, We're getting ready to launch our first one to college this year. And we also are in the process of adopting a kindergartner. So we're kind of, you know, we're we're real big at spreading things out. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so um, I actually have a degree in computer-based information systems, a degree that I knew was like a horrible decision. I actually got my degree when I was 30. So I was kind of a late person to go back to college. And I really wanted to get a degree in decorating, but I didn't think I could make any money um, at interior design and decorating. And so I chose to get a degree in computers, but at the same time fell in love with like decorative painting, like faux finishing. Do you know, are you familiar with that is Erica? Uh, not really, but you can okay, enlighten so me. It's like, uh, well, it's like texturing your walls and making things look like marble and like glazing cabinets and um, making... Uh, you know, like murals and things like that. So I I fell in love with the idea of like, um, 
just using paint as a way to really make my home beautiful. Uh, I had bought my first house when I was single and 21 years old. And so even though I had a, a house, I didn't have any money to like, you know, fix it up. So I had to do all this stuff myself. And I kind of learned how to DIY my way through that home. And so when I was 30, I was getting my computer degree, but I was also like falling in love again with like painting and things. And I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I, how can I do painting and also continue, you know, in my computer job? And so I started a little side hustle, which is, you know, how a lot of women get started and a lot of times how God uses um, things to pivot women into what they're supposed to be doing. So I started this side hustle on the nights and weekends of a company called The Magic Brush. And right after I started the painting company, I we got pregnant with our first son, Noah. And I was like, okay, this painting company is actually kind of going really well. And I'd gotten laid off from my computer job. And I was like, well, now what do I do? Because we're getting ready to have our first baby and I want to stay home full time. But we'd also really kind of gotten used to the income. And And so what ended up happening is I ended up asking my sister-in-law if she would work with me, if she would like do the painting and I could stay home and just try to find us more work, which I didn't realize by the way was marketing. (laughs) Like I didn't, I didn't have big fancy words to put to what I was doing. And so she worked out in the fields, painting in people's houses. I stayed home and raised our kids and just found more work, more builders, more parade homes, more, you know, magazines that we could be in. And what I actually figured out during that process is I was actually really good at the marketing and I was really good at like getting on social media and talking about our business. And, um, and so, yeah, I had that painting company for 17 years. We closed it down about three years ago and it was about five or six years ago when Okay. So I realized I was good at marketing, but then I also realized I was good at social media and it was such a shocker because I'm truly an introvert and I'm always curious, Erica, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? I'm an extrovert. (laughs) Okay. I'm married to, I'm married to one of you, but, um, (laughs) so, you know, I found that I loved Facebook both to look at like, you know, my mom's cats and my friend's baby pictures, but I also loved using Facebook as a way to grow my business. And what I loved about it is that as an introvert, it felt really safe because I could kind of put myself out there and then like retreat. And I had the ability to like put something out there and delete it if I felt like it. So it felt much safer to me than a lot of face-to-face interaction does. And since I was kind of good at it, I was also kind of getting more and more followers all the time. And people were watching me and they were starting to ask me, okay, how did you get a hundred thousand followers on Facebook? You know, how did you get 200,000? Today we have, I think, 360,000 Facebook followers. And because they kept asking me, I was like, well, I guess I could teach you. And then one day I was like, well, why don't I start teaching you like in a paid coaching group instead of me just, you know, trying to help people for free because I'm a good girl who loves the Lord. You know, I'm I'm thinking, (laughs) gosh, I could be actually making money at this. And so now I coach well over 2000 women every month in just one of my two paid groups. You know, and it's $47 a month that they're paying me to learn how to use social media to build their own business. So that's where I'm currently at today, which is just, you know, a long way away from a computer degree and a little side hustle with painting. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was a really long answer too. I'm oh, sorry. No, that's, I was a big question. It was like three questions in one. So you're good. Okay. Um, actually, <laughs> I was just thinking I, so I re-listened to your podcast that you were on with Jamie Ivy uh, a few years ago because I, I remembered hearing you there, but I wanted to kind of refresh my memory. And so when I was listening to that and I was looking at your stuff, I said, wait a second, she talked about like how they might adopt, but you guys weren't sure back in that episode. And I'm like, oh, it's come full circle. She's actually there now. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I forgot that. Well, so it was like nine years ago. Okay. So Jason and I have, uh, we have two boys and then we had a girl and 
I've told Jason from the beginning of our marriage, I knew that I had a heart for adoption. And part of that comes from my own personal story, which I don't feel like I'm really at liberty to share yet. But, um, but I've always wanted to adopt. I've had a heart for that. And so we decided when Ava was a baby that we would start, and she's now 12, that we would start the adoption process. So we originally filled out paperwork for China and we found out it was like, you know, a five-year wait. And then we decided, okay, so we'll adopt here. We checked into a bunch of other countries and, you know, it's just, it felt so big and messy because a lot of the countries, like you have to go over for like six weeks, you know, to get your new baby and to come home. And I'm like, how am I going to leave my three biological children and a business for six weeks? And so we we decided we were just going to, you know, adopt here from the United States. So we got on the wait list for two different private agencies and we waited for two years. We, you know, we did all the classes, all the fingerprinting, all the books. We had all the close calls. And after two years, we were like, okay, obviously when a birth mom is looking through adoption books, um, for potential families, they're seeing like, you know, we already have three kiddos and it, and they were always like placing their children with families that didn't have any kids yet. And mm-hmm. I could totally understand why, like in retrospect, I, and, and if I was that birth mom, I would do the same thing and, you know, look at a family and be like, well, they've got three kids. How about, you know, instead I, you know, let my baby be raised by somebody that doesn't have any children and give them that gift of being a parent. And, um, so then we were like, okay, so what if we swing over to the foster care system? So we waited for two years to adopt out of foster care and realized that um, the system is, number one, very, very broken in the United States. And number two, there are very few children that actually come up for adoption out of the foster care system. So after four years, we were exhausted. We were tired. I didn't want to do any more fingerprinting, no more home studies, no more, you know, redoing all of our continuing education every year just to wait another year. And so we decided to drop out. And yet I knew that 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 chapter of the book was not finished. I knew that that door still had a crack in it. And that's probably about the time I was talking to Jamie. And I knew for a lot of different reasons, Erica, like one, number one, I just thought, okay, God's put this in my heart since I was little to adopt. So I can't imagine that not happening. And number two, um, there would be weird things that would happen. Like I'd tuck my kids in at bed at night and I would always, not always, but often think, there's a fourth one. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. like, I just knew I was missing someone in our home, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I would tell my husband, oh, that thing happened again where I know <laughs> I, you know, I was supposed to be tucking in a fourth. And so we just, you know, decided, well, if God is, if this is something we're going to do, then we'll just sit and wait. We're not going to try to like force this door open anymore. Cause we tried to force it for four years and it was clearly stuck. Right. And, um, and so then we got a phone call 18 months ago. And it was from a great grandmother of a little girl. Um, I'm actually related to her. She is my cousin's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And um, the two great grandmas of this little girl got together and were like, somebody has got to raise her. Neither of her biological parents are in the capacity to do that. And so they called us and said, would you be interested in adopting her? And we were like, no, we're old. <laughs> <laughs> that was four years ago. We were, we, you know, we decided we were done with that. And, um, and all of our kids were finally back in school and my business was exploding. And, you know, I knew I was going to be writing a book and we're like, we do not have time for a four year old. And, uh, but we had one play date with her and we decided let's do one more play date. And then we decided, well, let's maybe like offer to pay for her preschool and that will be really fun. And we could go pick her up and take her to preschool every day. Like we were, we were just so nervous about at all you know, heading in this direction, a, we didn't want our hearts to be broken and B, we were really comfortable in how we had kind of just settled into life. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for the first time in our life, we had 
money to travel and we had a, a new home and, you know, we were kind of, it just felt like the timing was completely off, but, um, we decided to have her spend the night just for one night, the night before we took her to preschool for the first time and we've never taken her home. So Aww. we are 18 months later in the process of adopting little Ari. Oh, that is so great. Yeah. I mean, it's like once you spend all that time trying to force it, like, yeah, it's like, what more can you do? I've seen similar things in my own life where I just go, okay, like God, if you want this to happen, Exactly. You're going to make it happen. I've done everything exactly, I can. <laughs> I think, and that's exactly what I said. I'm like, well, God, we've tried, you know, we've done, we've done our due diligence here. We've taken the classes. We've done the fingerprint. We've done all the things and it didn't happen. So if it's going to happen, it's going to have to be you. So, well, that's a great reminder. I'm sure to someone listening, that's maybe going through something like that. Uh, so you have a new book coming out. I do. Fear yeah. is not the boss of you, which I love the cover. The pink is just like so bright and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that comes out in April. So that's really yes. exciting. Um, tell me about the title and why, why you chose that topic and what are you hoping people are going to get out of this book? Yeah. Well, so I think that it might be, um, I think that there could perhaps be some women who look at my life right now and um, and they, you know, my husband, we were able to bring home from corporate America two years ago. So he works full time at home with me. And, um, you know, we live in what a lot of people would consider to be our dream home. I, I, am not calling it that cause I still think we have something else out there, but, um, you know, and, and I, I get to do a lot of fun things. I get to speak on a lot of fun stages. I get to travel a lot for work. Like, and I think some people would look at that and be like, well, you know, assume that perhaps, my personality or, um, is a certain way or that things have been easy for me. And the truth is, is that they haven't at all. And that I've really struggled with fear all of my life, not in an anxiety type of way, but just like a fear of what people will think, a fear of disappointing people, being a people pleaser, um, scared that something's going to fail, scared it's also going to be successful. And now how am I going to maintain it? And so when I sat down with, um, book agents last year and sat down with, um, the woman who is my agent, and we tried to really like flush out, okay, if we're going to write a book, like what is the going to be the topic? And we just kept coming back to like helping women. I mean, even though for my job, Erica, I teach women how to get a lot of social media people. And then how do you make money online from the people that you just, you know, got to follow you? Um, a lot of times the reason that women are not successful at their small businesses or successful in the online space is it's fear-based. It's because of fear. It's they're worried they're going to get a, you know, a troll or a hater making a negative comment. It's they're worried about business success or worried about business failure. And so even though what I do for a living is teach women who are in business, I also know that the reason so many women in business are not successful, it all comes back to fear. And so it's not a business book at all. It's a book for any woman who has ever been stuck, overwhelmed, or is completely uh, paralyzed with fear. And so um, those are the first three chapters of the book right there. And so uh, I wrote a book just for the women that they know that there's got to be something better out there. They know there has to be more to life than this. And I also wrote the book that I wish that I had had years and years and years ago. And, um, yeah, so I'm so excited about it. And we just like, um, all of the people on our launch team just got the early copies and the reviews are raving. And so that as an Enneagram three is just making me like so excited. So yeah, it's going to be out in April and I just can't wait. That's awesome. Uh, well, I know one of the things that you talk about a lot is being stuck, getting out of your own way, um, you know, overcoming some of that. What are some of the ways that you see women being stuck the most? Ooh, women are stuck a lot. So a lot of times st stuck looks like, uh, here, and here's the thing. Um, 
Well, let me ask you this, Erica. Do you have children? I do. They're four and one. Yes. Do you know if you're done having children? <laughs> I'm like interviewing you now. Um, I think <laughs> so. What although, I do with my podcast. No, that's – it's, it's kind of a fun turnaround. But uh, am I done? I think so. But I, my heart and mind is open to uh, foster care adoption okay, But you're future. definitely not done. You're definitely <laughs> not done. i tell you how I know that because when you're done, like you know you're done. You know what I mean? Like you know, you yeah. know when you're done. And like a woman who is stuck, she knows when she's stuck. And so mm-hmm. it's not like, I remember one time, one of my um, best friends asked me when my kids were little, um, we've had three out of the four of our children are very strong willed. And let me tell you, I talk about that in the book <laughs> and I, and I talk and I use a really, as a really good example in terms of how I deal with my children and how I think God deals with us as his children. Um, and hopefully I, make a really good example out of that. But anyway, I can remember one time my best friend saying to me when Noah, our oldest was little, she said, how do you know? Cause she had two kids. How do you know if your child is strong-willed? I'm like, Oh honey, you know, if your, your kiddo is strong-willed or like right now I'm in menopause and women are like, how do you know if you're in menopause? Oh, you know, the hot flash is like, <laughs> it's not like you're wondering, like, you know, so a woman who is stuck, I'm giving you just lots of examples. She knows she's stuck mm-hmm. and she's stuck by, because she's worried about what her family's going to think. She's stuck because um, it's familiar. Like a lot of times we get stuck in relationships because the relationship is familiar and we would rather at least be in familiar, even though it's bad for us than be alone, which seems, you know, so intimidating. So, um, I find that so many women are stuck. They're stuck in their business. They want to, you know, do a side hustle, but they don't even know where to begin. Um, I know in many times in our marriage, Jason and I have been stuck in our finances. There's been more than one time when we were dead broke. And I talk about that in the book too. And so I think stuck can look like a lot of different things and, you know, um, it can come up in a lot of different ways for a lot of different women. Okay. Now that you kind of touched on something that I wanted to follow up on, which is, you know, there are people listening and there's, and they see people building online businesses or they see success stories like yours. And they think like, I have something that I can teach people. I have something that I want to do, but it feels so overwhelming to even get a website or get started or feel that they are even worthy to ask someone to pay them for something. So, you know, what would be, you know, I guess your recommendation for a couple of first steps to take if someone feels like they, they may have the potential to actually build this thing? Yeah. So, okay. I have a chapter in the book. Um, that has to do with algebra and it's in like a joking, you know, tongue in cheek sort of way. But basically what I say is that I think that there are so many women who, um, they, they have like this inkling or they have a desire in their heart or they feel like God's kind of nudging them to do something. But of course they're scared as all of us are. And I talk in the book about how just because you're scared, like that doesn't give you a hall pass. Your fear does not release you from your calling. And so, and I actually use an example in the book of how, um, just because we don't know how to do something or we're scared, we're not going to be good at it. It's not a good enough reason not to attempt it. If this is what we feel like God's asking us to do. And the example I use in the book is like, um, several months ago, I asked our oldest son, Noah, and he's now 18. He was 17 when this happened, but I asked him to mop the floor in the house. And he was like, I don't know how. And and first of all, I'm like, what do you mean you don't know how? Like, how have I failed you as a mother that you don't know how to mop the floor? And, and in his defense, like he's been doing his own laundry since he's 12. So he does know how to do laundry. Um, he will make somebody a very great husband one day, but so I'm like, no, Noah, you know, mop the floor. And he's like, I don't know how. And I'm like, well, you figure everything else out with YouTube. Like watch a YouTube video. You know, I didn't even have time to like show him. And the truth was, I didn't want to babysit this thing. He's 17. He should be able to figure out how to mop. 
And so, but he kept like stalling Erica and I was getting so annoyed because it became not about the mopping anymore and more about the fact that, look, I'm your mother and out of respect for your mom. And because I asked, I need you to mop the floor. Cause by the way, we've got a lot of other things that we need to get done today. And you're part of this family and you being like obedient to me in a timely fashion, it kind of matters. We've got stuff to do. And so I basically talk about that in the book of how when Noah and I were having that conversation, this is often how God teaches me and deals with me. And God was like, and Jen, that's exactly how I feel about my own children. And I use the example in the book because I think so often God's like, Jen, I want you to do X, Y, Z or Erica, I want you to do X, Y, Z. And we're like, well, God, I don't know how. And I just think that, you know, he's like, but yeah, but I'm your God up in heaven and you can figure it out. And the truth is I want you just to be obedient. You don't need to necessarily know how to do it to do it. And so I talk also about how delayed obedience is really disobedience. Like I was getting so frustrated with Noah because, you know, he's hee-hawing around and then he's checking his Snapchat and I'm like, mop the floor, like, please get it done. And, um, and so I think that there are so many women who they're stuck and they're overwhelmed with all this indecision and stuff, but they really need to remember that number one, um, God has a plan for their life and he, and he's trying to work that plan out through them. And when he's giving you something to do, like you saying, I don't know how, or I'm scared. Like that is a really flimsy excuse. Number two, you have a spouse, most people and children, most people who are watching your every move. And as a mother, like I can't try to be teaching my kids and talking to them about, you know, courage and bravery when I've got all these things that God has put in my heart. And I'm like, you know, hiding in a corner, sucking my thumb. Like that's mm-hmm. a, that's hypocrisy. And the third thing is we've all got a community of people who are watching us, whether it's a social media following like I do, or, you know, uh, Kathy who lives next door. We all have people who are watching our life. And when they see us do things that are big, hard and scary, it gives them permission to show up in a lot of ways for their own life that they maybe, maybe wouldn't normally have thought of doing. So mm-hmm. that's really good. I love that. Uh, the, one of the other things you talk about is doing things with intention. I think that word could be sort of like not defined well. So when you think of doing things with intention, what does that mean for you? Well, just because it's a good thing doesn't mean it's a God thing. And so when I think about like being intentional, I think about, you know, there are like are 30 or 40 things I could probably be working on <laughs> today for work and everything else. But I want to be really like intentional in what, where I put my focus and because what you focus on it grows. And so it matters. Right. And so I think like intention is just, it's super important in like steering the ship. Um, being intentional about the things that we are focusing on, being intentional about the things that we are doing, being intentional about figuring out why do I behave the way that I do? Why, when I have the opportunity to grow my business, do I self-sabotage? Um, why, when I have the opportunity to perhaps start a Bible study, you know, out of my home, why do I end up instead just signing up for somebody else's? Like, I think even though I know deep down, I really want to have one, you know what I mean? And so I, I think when it comes to being intentional, um, I think we need to really focus on what God's asking us to be intentional about. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, one of, so 
you, you mentioned earlier, you said side hustle, but hustle, of course, is sort of like hustle culture so popular yes. right now. Yeah. Um, and I read on, a, on your website, you know, you said if you, or you said, uh, sorry, let me find the quote, I lost it. You don't need yeah. to hustle. You can build a business that honors your faith and your family without 100%. working nonstop. And I think, you know, that really, you know, hits me because I'm sort of trying to do a lot of things, you know, working part time, the podcast, I'm a freelance writer, I have staying home with my kids. And sometimes it's really hard to know, like, when to stop and like, how to stop. Sure. And so what is, I mean, what, how do you have boundaries around those things? Well, and so I think it's important when I mentioned hustling earlier, I said that, you know, I had a side hustle, which is like a noun. And I think what so many business coaches and entrepreneurs are trying to tell people about in the online space right now is that you've got to hustle, 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 you know, verb, verb, verb in order for something to be successful. And I just think that that is so wrong. And I think that, um, there's so many people who are just, they're, they really want for you to focus on yourself. And I think that if we would shift our focus to be like, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is this business supposed to look like? What do I need to like kind of let go of so that I can only focus on the things that are really important to you? Because then the hustle isn't really necessary. Mm-hmm. And I think that in um, we have like some misconceptions in America because hard work is biblical. Um, and so hard work is not a bad thing. Hard work is a good thing. But for some reason in America, we equate a lot of times hard work with long work. So we think, you know, that you've got to hustle, hustle, hustle and work hard, work hard, work hard. And I hate that because so often I see women like doing that at the expense of their families. And it's really concerning to me with this surge of like female entrepreneurs, because there's never been a better time in the world, by the way, to be an entrepreneur. And number two, there's never been a better time to be a female entrepreneur. Like there's so many opportunities, right? But we have to remember what God calls us to first and that's to him and that's to our, our husband and our children and then to, you know, business and the rest of the world. And so I'm really concerned about the hustle message because you don't have to hustle, hustle, hustle. You don't have to work hard, hard, hard. You have to work smart, smart, smart. So, and I think part of working smart is figuring out what God wants you to focus on because otherwise like you, I mean, there's yours is a very simple example, Erica, but I coach women all the time and I'll ask them, okay, so what is it that you do? Well, I make candles and I make soaps and I also bake cookies and I also (laughs) blog and I, and they're like, they lead me the million things and they're like, I'm hustling. And Jen and I'm like, okay, well, and here lies the problem. We're going to need to simplify some things and really figure out what are the one or two things that you really need to double down your focus on. Be, so because you can't chase two rabbits at once. Have you ever heard that saying? I love that saying. Mm-hmm. You can't chase two rabbits at once. And so, um, so I while I think that working hard is biblical, um, I think that working smart is the way, especially as a woman who has a wife and, or has um, a husband and children. I think it's so important that you work smart because otherwise there's just not enough hours in the day, Erica, to be a decent wife and a decent mother and really build a substantial, decent business. Yeah. And the hustle scares me. It does. Yeah. You're going to have a bunch of worn out women in about the next 10 minutes here who are just so exhausted. They have nothing left for the things that they say matter the most to them. Yeah, that's so true. Um, well, so speaking of some of the women you work with, you work with thousands of women in all kinds of different fields. I, this is a little bit like, um, out of left field, but what are some of the more interesting, uh, businesses that you work with? Can you think of anything like that's sort of more unique in the space, um, of people you're working with? This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. 
At Bao, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman? Serve in the workplace? Or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bao offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Oh, gosh. Well, I work um, with a lot of creatives. And so that's a really broad word for makers, DIYers, painters, artists, bloggers, writers. I think I said writers twice now. Um, I have a lot of jewelry makers, cupcake artists, cookie artists, people who bake and cook for, you know, Pinterest, those sorts of things. Um, I have some people that do like singing on cruise ships <laughs> in my group and I consider oh, cool. that a creative. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, we have like wreath makers that I coach, um, uh, interior designers, um, home flippers, but then we also have some like kind of, you know, um, outliers. We have things like we have people who are in real estate who are in my group because they're needing to build their social media and they want to learn how to do something besides just, you know, selling houses. They want to make an income in addition to that. Um, uh, we have dog trainers in my group. Um, so yeah, we've got some fun people in there. And so I coach mostly women cause I just, I have such a heart for women and I think we process things and see things differently. And, um, it's important to me that I, when I'm coaching that I'm using my faith in my coaching. And then I'm also just using my perspective as a woman. Do you see one of the biggest issues in some of the people that come to you as being that they haven't niched down enough? Like you mentioned before, all the person that's doing, you know, five different kinds of creative activities. Well, I, I see two things. Okay. So I see either number one, they haven't niched down far enough or number two, there's, there's a couple things that I tell people that when they're trying to build a business, they really have to focus on. So is it that you're marketing the right thing and are you selling, so is it the, are you selling the right thing? Are you selling it to the right people mm -hmm. at the right time and for the right price? And so a lot of times I think that if I've got somebody that comes to me and they're in my group and they are really focusing on one thing, but business isn't growing, I'm, I'm like, okay, so let's look at these four things. So is it the right product? And I always use the example of if you're trying to sell me like lessons on underwater basket weaving, like nobody's going to buy that. <laughs> like, that's not really a thing. You know what I mean? And I think there's a lot of times people are like, well, I want to invent something that nobody's ever done. Well, it's probably because it failed miserably. So take something that you see that's out in the marketplace that people are actually paying for and tweak it and make it your own. So is it the right thing? Is it, um, at the right time? So if you're trying to sell Christmas ornaments in July, that's hard, right? Um, is it to the right people? If you've got a Facebook audience or Instagram audience that you've built, that's mostly people, you know, in the 40 plus age bracket, but you're trying to sell baby clothes, like you might have built an audience with the wrong people. Or, you know, if you're sending out mass mailers, it's probably the wrong people. Um, and so is it the right thing at the right place at the right time? And is it the right price? So those are the only four things that you really kind of need to look at. Have you niched down far enough is on one side of the coin and on the other side of the coin is looking at those four things. Okay. Now let's talk about 
the idea of charging what you're worth because I know uh-huh. charging as someone who um, I have a couple of clients and I'm looking in the future when my kids are a little older to build my business even more in terms of my consulting yep. and writing. But coming up with what to charge is can be really tricky. And, yep. you know, I, you know, sit there and stress over it like, oh, she, you know, I should go. Should I go higher? Should I go lower? And it's so hard sure. to know. So what advice do you offer on figuring out what to charge and making sure that you're not charging too little. Yeah. So let me just say, first of all, that I used to use that charge what you're worth as, you know, a a big, huge, like slogan in my business until the Holy Spirit was kind enough one day to show me how wrong that saying is Mm -hmm. because, and I've actually like gone on a podcast and like publicly apologized to people because the truth is, You need to charge what your talent is worth, not what you're worth. Right. Because in the beginning, when I started out painting, um, you know, I could only charge $25, $30 an hour. Was I, and and my my worth should not be tied to that. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not trying to like over-Christianize this, but charging what you're worth makes people feel really yucky when they're starting out. Mm -hmm. Because if, you know, if I had tried to, it's what your talent is worth. It's not what you're worth. And in the beginning when I could only do $30 an hour, it's because I didn't have like any social proof. I didn't have a Facebook page, you know, back in the year 2000, it wasn't even a thing yet. I didn't have tons of clients that could like, I could say, well, you know, Susie hired me to do her cabinets and Sally hired me to paint her living room. Like I didn't have any of that. So I kind of had to start um, where I saw a lot of people were starting at price wise and eventually worked up to, you know, well over a hundred dollars an hour, which is what I was ended up with that I was charging people for our painting. But my worth was the same at $30 an hour or $110 an hour. It's the same either way. And so I like people to, I just kind of want to remove that saying from people's vocabularies because, um, I think what it ends up doing is a lot of times a girl will start in a business and she'll look around and she'll be like, okay, well, the ones that are successful, they're charging, you know, $20 for a dozen cookies or whatever. And so I'm going to do that too, but she doesn't have the experience and the social proof and everything else to be able to ask her that sort of pricing. So she's not getting enough sales. And so then she's like, well, they told me to, you know, charge what I'm worth. And I, and this is what everybody else in my arena is charging for. And so she ends up quitting because she was at the very beginning where she hadn't really like had enough time and proof to be able to price similar to other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think, you know, words do matter in terms of, you know, how we're looking at things and also reality. I mean, that is reality and that makes so much sense. Um, Where do you see in general, though, people like charging not enough because they're scared? Um. I would say yes. I think what I see more of is sweet Christian women just giving everything away for free. Mm. Um, and because there are, and I did a whole, um, as you know, I have my own podcast. It's mm-hmm. the Jennifer Allwood show. If somebody wants to go listen to this episode, but in the month of January, every Monday, um, I did a money mindset type of um, podcast. Well, not type of, it was about, it was around money mindset because so many entrepreneurs, they, they get stuck on the money stuff. And so I talked about money from a biblical perspective. And I talked about how God actually gives us wisdom to gain wealth. That's what my Bible says. God gives you the wisdom to gain wealth. And so, um, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman, like she was a businesswoman. If you go look at like Proverbs 31 and read that, it talks about like her doing stuff in business. It's like 11 times compared to like Twice it talks about her being a wife and once being a mother, something like that. Don't quote mm-hmm. me on that. But that's, <laughs> I mean, you can quote me, but that's probably not the exact number. So what I'm trying to say is um, 
I think God loves the topic of money and loves the topic of business. And I think that entrepreneurs should be able to fund adoptions. They should be able to fund mission trips. They should be able to, you know, fund organizations that are close to their heart. And so, but so many women will come to me and they've been giving everything away for free for years because they're like, well, I feel like, you know, God gave me the gift of sewing. And so I should just sew for free. This is literally, um, what somebody in my family used to tell me. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I should charge people for my sewing. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're, you're running your own, like bills are so tight every month. You're barely able to make your car payment. God did give you the gift of sewing. And you're telling me you don't charge people because you feel bad about it. Like that's just so backwards to me. I don't Mm -hmm. get it at all. And so that's what I see more often is Christian women who are, they feel like it's sweet and precious to give everything away for free when, you know, the Bible talks about taking care of our families. And so, um, so I find that is probably a bigger problem. And then yes, the next problem is, um, people just don't charge enough and, Mm -hmm. but they can't, you know, charge what the average is when they're just beginning. um, Right. And, um, and number two, there's something that happens psychologically in the minds of buyers. So when things are priced too little, instinctively as a purchaser, we think, well, something must be wrong with it. We've been taught that if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if so many women could wrap their head around that, like, okay, if I were to double my rates, I'd actually get double the clients. Instead, what a lot of times a woman will think is, well, if I up my prices just a little bit, everybody's going to freak out. No, they won't. And I think part of it determines too, Erica, what's determining your price needs to be, who are you planning on selling your product or service to? Like, do you want to sell to more of a Walmart, um, you know, type of selling method. So you're pricing it way less and trying to hope that you sell it to a lot more people, or are you going to go the route of target, which is you up your prices and you sell to less people, but you know, either one of those models works, you just have to figure out who your target market is. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, we kind of touched on this, but I just wanted to, to ask, um, just follow up on it, which is when you are working at home as a mom and you've got little kids, I mean, that is a crazy life. And crazy. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, the only reason my kids aren't here right now is because my son is at preschool and I have a babysitter for my daughter on Wednesdays. <laughs> so, yes. um, but it can be really tough. So what are some tips that you have for moms that are working with kids at home? Okay. So, um, gosh, every time I go to talk about this, I, um, I forget what this is called. Okay. Let me think about this. (laughs) There's basically this like, um, theory that says you will work into the amount of time that's given to you. It's like Mm. Pavlon's theory or something. I'm going to look it up, Erica, and I'm going to like tweet you or Instagram DM (laughs) you. But, um, so here's what I know to be true. Do you know how like when you have a day that is just jam packed with like meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting and somehow you roll into bed that night and you're like, gosh, I was really productive. I got that all done. And then you have a day where you have like nothing on the calendar and you're like, okay, so now I'm going to get to that pile of mail. I'm going to also, you know, get the kids paperwork filled out for preschool. I'm also going to make all these doctor's appointments. I'm going to do this. And you get to the end of the day and you're like, okay, I got nothing done today. Like what happened? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I like to use this example a lot when I'm talking to um, moms of especially small children. Because 
you will get done what needs to get done in the amount of time that you have. And so I built this business, which, you know, generates multi seven figures like per year, not just like over the last 20 years, but per year, I built it while my kids were napping. I built it while I still had a flip phone and a fax machine. I built it with a baby on my hip the entire time. And so it is quite possible and for women to build a really great business still with your kids at home, you've just got to be intentional about your time. The truth is when I was building my business, social media wasn't around yet. And so on one hand, it was harder because it, I had to market, you know, with mailers and in magazines and to people locally. But in another way, it was easier because I didn't have the distraction. Right. And so I think if you were to really do like a time audit and you can go to, I have a, like a time audit for free if anybody wants it. I know we didn't even talk about this beforehand. So if you want to edit this out, that's fine, oh, Erica. Sure. But, no, that's fine. Okay. If you go to jenniferallwood.com slash time, it's just like a time audit where it makes you like track your time for several days. I don't know if we did it for three oh, days. I'm going to do that for sure. Like for every 30 <laughs> minutes, because it's shocking when you do that. It's almost like when you track your calories, you know, mm -hmm. you think you're eating healthy and then you track your calories for your day and you're like, holy crap. And this is why my jeans are tight. And so it's like that, like you really do have pockets of time where you're getting down into a Pinterest, like you know, whole where you just decided you were going to check out TikTok to see what everybody's talking about. And <laughs> 45 minutes later, you're like, oh my gosh, where has the time gone? So there is, we all have the same number of hours in a day yeah. and you are able to build a business with your kids at home because there's times, I mean, I know because I raised, you know, four of them, there's times when you put a movie in for the kids, but instead of during that time, you looking at Instagram, I want you to build your business. Right. And I talk in fear is not the boss view about how, you know, I think social media is just, it's one of the hugest robbers, I think of our decade, the decade before the decade after, like, I'm just so, I'm so concerned, even though I've got, you know, half a million social media followers, I'm so worried that we are just more concerned about how we look on social media. And, um, we're so concerned about watching other people live out their dreams on social media that we're watching, like ours are just slipping. It's like, you know, sands through the hourglass, like our opportunities are just slipping away. And so there's plenty of time to build a business, even with kids at home. You just got to be more intentional. Yeah. I've heard people saying, maybe you're the same way. Um, some people that are, have massive followings like you say like, yeah, actually don't really scroll much. Like I pretty oh, much there's just no time for scrolling. <laughs> yeah. Like I pretty much just spend my time planning, you know, what I'm putting up and of course, yeah. you have to spend a little time engaging with people. You don't want to be just like a person. Now, I do spend a lot of time doing that. I spend an hour to two hours every day just returning DMs and commenting on my Instagram and my Facebook. I right. do. And, right. and because for me, like the reason I'm able to live the life that I do right now is because of, I feel like my social media following, the reason I was able to write fear is not the boss of you is because I have a huge following. That's why, you know, so many publishers wanted me to write a book, but, and so I'm like, if I don't have time for the people that built this thing, the people who are following me every day, like if I know, if I don't have the time to connect to them, like on a one-on-one -on -one level, I've literally, I've told the Lord, then I don't, I don't. I don't deserve this platform any longer. So just take it away from me. Like if I ever get so big for my britches that I can't be in my own DMS talking to people, then I've done my community a huge disservice. And so I do spend a lot of time just returning DMS and talking to people, but I don't spend a lot of time scrolling. Not so at the, all. The real question is, did you start using TikTok? <laughs> 
Tic Tac, you don't stop. <laughs> I always want to say that for the people who were like raised in the 80s. Okay, so I got a Tic Tac account only so I can spy on my kids who have Tic Tacs accounts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have done one video that I've still got in drafts that I won't put out there. And I've done a couple videos with my daughter, which I think are on her Tic Tac. And so, you know, the cool thing about Tic Tac is it's really starting to be used more for business. Um, my, I have a conference once a year. It's called the Equipped Conference. Mm-hmm. And it's for women who are in business. Um, it's, it's church and a business. It's basically a business conference with worship. Okay, there you mm-hmm. go. <laughs> Some like biblical trainings. But it's all for women, except we have one person that I let speak every year who's a guy. It's my friend, Brian Dixon. Um, he just, he was raised. Hope writers. Do you know, oh, yes, you know Brian. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Brian is actually doing a breakout session at my equipped conference in April on TikTok because there's this huge shift happening where, you know, <laughs> I, I interviewed Shalene Johnson a while back and she, mm-hmm. she nailed it. She said, you know, what happens is the young kids, the young people, they start these social medias like they did, you know, Instagram. And then we, we middle-aged folks, we come in and ruin it for them. And so they have to go up and start something else. So TikTok was started, you know, with the younger generation for like dancing and things. But now you can find pastors preaching on it. You can find crafters crafting on it. You can find, you know, words of encouragement, like the middle-aged people are really, showing up there more than, you know, what they did definitely a year or two ago. So I think it's kind of fascinating. So am I on TikTok? I am, but it's more just to spy on my kids and make sure everything's on the up and up. Yeah, it's so interesting. I just remember, you know, back in the old days, uh, you know, people say, what's going to be the next Facebook? What's going to be the next Instagram? Yeah. And you're like, I have no idea. And so you you can't even imagine what the next thing's going to be. So it's yeah, I kind of <laughs> like that TikTok's taking off. I actually made my very first TikTok this weekend. I did a dance and everything, put music to uh, it. It was so fun. I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, f- I'm finally there. And then I I did our start scrolling and I was like, okay, this has got to stop. I cannot, I cannot be scrolling TikTok. It's even worse than Instagram. Um, but that's, that's good to know. And I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on that. Okay. Just a couple last, um, end of podcast questions. And I apologize. I did not prepare you for this. So just do the best you can, uh, really simple stuff, but okay. So if you next week, if you could say, I'm going to have dinner or drinks with anyone, who would it be and why? Beth Moore. Oh, good answer. I know. I just love her. It's so funny. Like, okay, don't, don't hate me for this, but I can remember the first time my best friend gave me a Beth Moore CD like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't listen to it. No. And she was like, what? And I'm like, I don't know. It's something about like her Southern twang or something. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I don't get it. And then our church like did a Beth Moore Bible study. And I, it was the one called, have you done any of her Bible studies? It was like, I have believing, yep. believing God. That was mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with her because she made me fall in love with scripture. Yeah. And if you, if you like, don't know anything about Beth Moore, go Google Beth Moore, um, airport, hairbrush and you will ball like a baby for the next hour. I'm just warning you, like, don't do it if you just, you know, put on your makeup for the day. But I just totally fell in love with Beth Moore. So it'd be her. Or, okay. or you know what? Can I have it? Can I have it also? Sure. Yes. One? Go ahead. Dave, Ram- Dave Ramsey would be right behind her. Oh, okay. Have you met him? I have. Yeah. I've spoke at his conference, his okay, uh, business boutique for women with Christy Wright. Yeah. I've spoke there twice. I've met Dave. I went to a VIP event of his in Kansas city, um, for his giving ministry, um, last year. And so I've gotten to meet him several times, but I originally met him on his 800 number, Erica years ago when my husband and I were so broke and Jason had lost his job right before Christmas that we were trying to determine if to turn in our 401ks or not. Oh my God. And I just remember talking to him on the phone. I talk about this, I think in the book 
and him just being so like fatherly. And he was like, Jennifer, you're going to be fine. Like you've got a side business. You guys are going to be okay. And I just remember like, <laughs> you know, that it was that kind of crying. Like it wasn't like Demi more precious crying. Like I was snotting all over my <laughs> shirt sleeve crying to, to Dave Ramsey. And when I actually met him in real life for the first time last year, I started crying again, exactly like that. Like the anointing that's on him is very strong. It's very heavy. So just to like be in the same room with him, I literally started bawling again because I was just really grateful as well. So uh, I'm going to go with, with Beth and Dave. That's so I, cool. Right. That would be awesome. I mean, talk about getting like gobs of wisdom all at one time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. What's a current or future goal that you have for yourself personally or for your business in the next five or so years? Oh, I got to take off the 10 pounds that I put on over Christmas. Um, <laughs> That's you know, a, I very, ate a lot of mashed very potatoes to the, to the glory of God, but I've got a 12 city book tour in April. And so I really would like to take off that 10 pounds before I do that. Um, and a goal for my business. Well, we have um, a new saying um, here in Team Allwood right now. It's, it's actually my saying. It's not my team's, but um, if it costs me my piece, it's too expensive. Mm. And so right now I'm trying to get so much better at saying no, mm -hmm. which I know, you know, people have said that for years, but the truth is like, it's, um, it's easy to say no to, to the things that, you know, you know, don't aren't in alignment for you or it just, what I'm really trying to pay attention to right now is what is stealing my peace. Because I really, with a 12 city book tour in one month and we're graduating our son like two weeks later and I'm speaking at Jamie Ivey's happy hour, um, in May, like I have so much going on. I have a trip to Canada in that time. That's a mastermind I belong to. So when I'm looking at my calendar, I'm like, Oh gosh, Oh gosh, Oh gosh. So right now, everything that is costing me any sort of peace, I'm just saying, having to say no to. Man, so, I'm dying to go to one of those happy hour lives, but I don't live in Texas, so it's really hard. <laughs> right. Road trip. It needs oh, to be a road seriously, trip. Yes. one of these days. Okay, last question. Um, yeah. I'm a book lover. I'm a podcast lover. Do you have any books that you've read recently that you can recommend or podcasts that you enjoy listening to? Sure. Okay. So I have every woman that comes through my coaching, They every one of them knows Stephen Furtick's book, Crash the Chatterbox, Changed okay. My Life. Okay. Um, and and it's, a, it's a couple years old. But it is, um, it changed my life and it changed my business. So crash the chatterbox. Um, and my favorite podcast right now is by a pastor named Darius Daniels. Mm -hmm. Do you know who that is? I don't. Um, let me think of the name of Darius's church. Hang on. I'm literally opening up my podcast app, but, um, I listen to him almost every day, but it, his name is D H A R I U S Daniels. Okay. okay. And, um, what is the name? Hang on here because, okay. Um, change church. Thank you. Okay. When you're in menopause, you just drop words. So it's <laughs> called change church. Um, and it's my favorite podcast right now. Like I can't get enough of it. Okay. Well, I'll probably just like turn that on as soon as we hang up because <laughs> that's what I Yay. do. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, Jennifer. Well, this has been amazing. Like, I feel like I've gotten so much out of it that I kind of want to like go sign up for one of your groups now. <laughs> and I oh, might. Well, you can <laughs> send me a DM. I'll send you the link. <laughs> I totally will. Well, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to read your book and I'm just looking forward to seeing just all the stuff that you're doing. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Erica. Bless you. Have a good one. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways.
Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.